Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Joyce isn't here. I heard that she had been fighting a, um, a, uh, a stomach bug. And uh, it's been too many weeks since we've seen her. So let's, before we start, let's just lift her up in prayer, okay? Can we do that, her and her family? Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, knowing that you are the God who heals. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your word, because it says he sent his word and it healed them. So Father, we lift up Joyce to you right now. We come to you not on the basis of anything we've done, but on the basis of what you've done. We come to you on the basis of those stripes that were poured out for Joyce's healing. And in light of that, we minister and we speak healing to her whole family in Jesus' name. We say, stomach bug, you will end now. And any kind of dehydration or secondary effects that have resulted from it, be restored in Jesus' name. Lord, may she receive full strength in Jesus' name and be restored because we want her to be back with us next week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, one of the things, you know, speaking of uh, all the changes and uh, the year of the COVID and all that, one of the things you guys know that Rinko and I have been excited about was the idea of traveling. We've been talking about this trip to India for like, for how long? I know you all are tired about it. <laughs> Y'all don't believe we're really going to go, but I'm telling you, as soon as India opens up, we're going. <laughs> we, we will be there. But I was, I was looking online and, you know, I found all this stuff online, so you know it's going to be true. And I was looking online, I was looking at different... Um, different rules for different countries that you need to know about, you know, when you travel. Because, you know, you don't want to get over there and accidentally break a rule and, uh, you know, end up in jail or something. So I was looking at India. Did you know that the, the Indian Aircraft Act of 1934 actually considers a kite to be an airplane? And you actually technically need a permit to fly one in India? See, I didn't know that. I mean, I'd have been over there just flying a kite, and I probably would have been in jail in India for flying a kite. It's good to know stuff like this, right? Actually, there's another uh, law in India. This one I have a hard time believing it's a real law in India, but probably not enforced. The Indian Treasure Trove Act of 1878. If you happen to be walking down the street and you find money and it's more than 11 rupees, if you don't turn that into an official, you could actually be prosecuted for it. That's the law. That's the law. Yeah, it's not fine. 11, 11, what is that, about 15 cents? 11 rupees would be about 15 cents. I don't know, something like that. But anyway, all over the place. I mean, you've maybe heard this one in the United Arab Emirate. Uh, public displays of affection are illegal. They're punishable by fines and in prison. So, you know, don't go walking holding hands if you're visiting in the UAE. It's good to know, right? right? Um, in Australia, only a licensed electrician is allowed to change a light bulb. Otherwise, you'll be fined. I'm, I'd have been there just, I'll do it, man, without a permit. What do you think, Patrick? I'd, I'd have done it. <laughs> yeah, good to know this stuff. In England, did you know there are no kissing zones on the train platforms? You know, signs up and everything. Because I guess the government decided that kissing goodbye slows down the operation of the train. So there are no kissing zones on the train platforms in England. True story. I know it's online. I know it's true. You know, uh, in Singapore, it's illegal to chew gum. It's been illegal since 92 to chew gum in Singapore. You can't even buy gum in Singapore. 
And if they get caught chewing gum, they'll fine you. In Mexico, listen to this. It's illegal for a bicyclist to lift their feet off the pedals while riding. I mean, I'd have been down there in Mexico riding with no feet. I just know me. I'd have been in trouble. But in Mexico, no riding without feet. In New Zealand, there's a law that states that you cannot fly with a rooster in a hot air balloon. So if you're in New Zealand and you want to go on a balloon ride, make sure you leave your rooster in the motel room. <laughs> I did find out, though, I, I, that one piqued my curiosity. Like, why? I did find out that rooster was one of the first passengers in, the, in a hot air balloon when they were experimenting. So maybe that's something to do with it. I don't know. But um, uh, in Germany, it's illegal. It is against the law to run out of gas on the Autobahn. Don't do it. In Scotland, you are not allowed to be drunk on a cow. It's the only place. It's the only place, you know. <laughs> Good to know. I, I guess you're okay. To, it's okay to be drunk in Scotland. It's okay to be on a cow in Scotland. But don't be drunk on a cow in Scotland. Go figure. And finally, in Granville, France, if you ever go on vacation to Granville, France, it is illegal to bring your elephant with you to the beach. It's a law. It's on the books. Do not bring your elephant with you to the beach in Granville, France, where you will be fined. Leave your elephant, leave your elephant at home. <laughs> See, everywhere you go, there's all these different governments. There's all these different rules and all these really smart people, smart people in government come up with all these. They work really hard to pass these laws <laughs> just to make life good for the community. See, but you need to know where in the world you are. And what government, what government has authority where you are, right? So you don't mess up because you don't want to end up in jail for, you know, bringing your elephant or riding a cow while you're drunk. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, spiritually speaking, it's the same way. Kind of. Not really, but kind of. That's my segue. Okay. Spiritually speaking, there are different jurisdictions in a way because there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of darkness. Now, Jesus has all authority but the kingdom of heaven is pressing into this world. And the reason he just doesn't step in and take it is because he wants souls. He wants people to be saved and come into the kingdom before he wraps this thing up. So spiritually speaking, there are two governments to think about, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Do you remember what God told the apostle Paul? Paul recounts it in the book of Acts, Acts 26, verse 17. He says, I'm going to take you and deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles, and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may return from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, there is a turning from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There are people right now in the world who are under the power of Satan. And Paul's job and your job my job is to turn them from the power of Satan to God. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved. Do you see the two kingdoms here? We are rescuing people out of Satan's power, out of Satan's grip, out of the kingdom of darkness, and we're bringing them into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And just like there's different rules all over the world, there are different rules that govern the two 
kingdoms. In the kingdom of darkness, the law of sin and death is at work. And in fact, God is actually, I got to thinking about this, God is actually the one who subjected the creation to decay, the Bible says, in hope that he can restore it and redeem it. In the kingdom of darkness, the law of sin and death is at work. But in the kingdom of God, there's a new law. It's called the law of the spirit of life. And that law is in full effect in the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And it good to be set free from Satan's kingdom. When you come into a new kingdom, I mean, look, you know, I guess in America, we're a free country. You take your elephant to the beach if you want to. In other words, you know, the, 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 the French government has nothing to say with what elephant I bring to the beach. I'm not under their jurisdiction. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are no longer under Satan's jurisdiction. He's got nothing to say to you. You're free from his kingdom. You come through the blood. You're crucified with Christ. You're born again. You're translated from one kingdom to another. And now that old law has nothing on you. You come to a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So what is a kingdom? We talk about the kingdom of God a lot. A kingdom really is exactly what you think it is. A kingdom is a politically organized community or a major territorial unit having a, a monarchical form of government headed by a king or a queen. Kind of a modern definition of it, right? So the kingdom of heaven is a politically organized community headed by King Jesus that is ever increasing and taking territory for God. That is the kingdom of heaven. See, we think of the kingdom of heaven oftentimes as being spiritual, mystical out there. And it is. I mean, it's otherworldly, right? But let me tell you what, God thinks of the kingdom a little differently. He thinks of it as a government. Do you remember the verse from Isaiah? We read it at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. From God's perspective, the kingdom is a government. Do you remember Daniel's vision of the statue? Actually, I said Daniel's vision. It wasn't Daniel's vision. It was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. God gave that to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel interpreted it. But in the dream, he saw the statue with the head of gold and the arms and the legs, all different metals. And each one represented a different earthly kingdom. It was a real physical, history bears it out. They were real physical earthly kingdoms. History happened exactly as Nebuchadnezzar dreamed it. Each part represented this kingdom. But when the stone that was cut without human hands struck the feet of the statue, the whole statue crumbled and was blown away in the wind. Daniel gave the interpretation in Daniel 2.44. And he said, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Isn't that interesting? So when Jesus stood there before Pilate, and Pilate said, Are you a king? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servant would have been, my servants would have been fighting that I might be not delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. 
You see what Jesus is saying? My kingdom is that kingdom made without hands. It's not men's kingdom. Nevertheless, God's kingdom is in this world because that kingdom made without hands struck those kingdoms and ended them and that kingdom itself ruled forever. It's not of this world, but it's definitely present in this world. You know, in the old cowboy movies that I would watch when I was a kid, they had the phrase, you know, kingdom come. You know, be careful with that, that barrel of powder, Earl. There's enough powder in there to blow us all. The kingdom come. <laughs> kingdom come meant something coming in the future where you go after you get blown up by a barrel full of black powder. <laughs> kingdom come. But the truth of the matter is the kingdom has come with Jesus. The kingdom is here now. Can't be overlooked. We can't overlook this. The word kingdom is used 162 times in the New Testament. 53 times in Matthew alone. 43 times in Luke. And the rest is kind of dispersed throughout the other two gospels and the letters. But listen to what John the Baptist said, or what is said about John the Baptist in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's close. You can reach out and grab it. Jesus said, uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After John was arrested in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was the gospel. The gospel was the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus sent out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And listen, after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared over that period of time to the disciples before he was ascended into heaven, it says in the opening chapters of Acts that until that day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself to them after suffering by many proofs. Listen to this, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I can only imagine that at that point in Jesus' ministry, the last 40 days he's going to spend with the people physically on earth, what he's saying is probably some of the most important stuff he's going to talk about. And what's he talking about? He's talking, he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God in scripture is not a peripheral idea. It is the main event. It's the main thing. It's the focus. It's God's rule, God's government, God's kingdom coming to earth through you. Even the gospel, like I said, is called the gospel of the kingdom. Listen to the characteristics of the kingdom. In the kingdom, God's will is always done. Matthew 6, 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the kingdom, the devil and his demons have no authority. That's why I said they have no power over you, no authority over you if you're in the kingdom of God. Luke eleven twenty, 20, he says this. 
But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, remember they were accusing, they were, Jesus was casting out demons. Give you a little background. He's casting out demons. The Pharisees who are always trying to find fault with him says, well, it's by the power of the devil that he's casting out devils. And Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm doing it by the power of God. Because if it's by the power of God that I am casting out demons, then that means the kingdom has come upon you. Where the kingdom is, the devil can't stay. He's got no business in the kingdom. He's got no authority in the kingdom. The kingdom drives out the devil in his work. You can't keep your sicknesses in the kingdom. You can't keep your sin in the kingdom. It goes. You press into the kingdom. It goes. And this is not an exhaustive list because I just thought of three off the top of my head as, I mean, the three most obvious. I'm sure if I'd have done a search in the concordance, we could have found out a lot about the kingdom. But the next point I have here is all of our needs are met in the kingdom. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, what things? What you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear will be given to you as well. Your needs are met. The, the kingdom's a good place to be, isn't it? It's a very good place to be. So here's my question. How do we get in? How do we get into the kingdom? Look with me at Mark um, 10, 14. The uh, people were bringing children to Jesus in order for Jesus to bless them. And the disciples being, you know, trying to take control and being the brilliant people they were said, Jesus is too important for the children. Keep the children back. This is the man of God. <laughs> Touch not mine anointed. <laughs> Jesus wasn't like that. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Thank God. Jesus, when he saw it, he was indignant at them. Now, that's a strong word. You know, you get used to reading Bible words. And, and you know, so, and Jesus was indignant at them. Now, Jesus was indignant. I mean, I don't know. If Jesus would have kicked something, I bet you he'd have kicked something right then. <laughs> if he was like, you know, he was mad. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. What does that tell you? It tells you it can't be an intellectual thing. Huh? It, it can't be based on years of life experience or age. You're not going to get old enough and all of a sudden you're going to get smart enough to come into the kingdom. It's obviously not based on social status. Children got to be at the lowest level. You know, children should be seen and not heard. No standing, no status. It's not based on their wealth. Next verse, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what's that mean? We don't enter by our experience. We don't enter by our good deeds. We don't enter by our social standing. We enter the way of a child, the way of humility, the way of repentance. Go with me to Isaiah 55, chapter, uh, chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. This is a beautiful picture of repentance. So many times, you know, I'm so glad we have the Old Testament because it does foreshadow things in the New. And sometimes the language of the Old Testament the way it spells it out. Just listen to this. Tell me what you think about how this describes repentance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord 
that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that beautiful? He will abundantly pardon. Let the wicked man forsake his way. Remember last week I was talking about prayer. I said, you pray with your words and you pray with your life. Here's a repentance. That's a repentance of words and a repentance of life. It's a change of mind. That's the Greek word, but it always leads. You don't change your mind without changing your actions. You live out what you believe. You live out what you think. And as a change of mind, you pray with your words. You pray with your life. And uh, Jesus, Jesus in Mark 10, 23 he said, look, he looked around and he said to his disciples, this is, I'm sorry, I just kind of jumped ahead because my mind just went there really quick. This is a continuation of that uh, same chapter where Jesus was rebuking them for not letting the children come to him. And I was saying, we come to Jesus in that way of humility, in the way of repentance, like a child. That is how we enter the kingdom. And then the chapter goes on and it actually talks about a hindrance for people. And it, in this case, it was money. Mark 10, 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And see why? Because those who have this standing, this wealth, this social status, this trusting in their standing and their own ability, they don't ever empty themselves and humble themselves and come to receive it from Jesus. That's the point. But the contrast of this is like a child who already has no standing. A child is, it's easy for a child because he doesn't have to give it up. He can just come. You know, kids are great. They just say whatever they think. Wednesday night, I was kind of talking about being one layer deep. You know what I mean? It's right there, whatever they think. They don't worry about social situations and different things that, that, that you know, they don't have that check. If it's in their heart, it pops out their mouth. What a freedom to live like that where what's in our heart, that our, we, our heart is pure, that we can let things flow. No prior reference to doubt. No prior reference to doubt. I like that. That's so good. The you know, kids are trusting. You know, you, you have to teach a kid how not to trust you. You know what I mean? After you trick them three or four times, they finally get smart. But it's easy to trick a kid. Why? Because they're naturally trusting. They're humble. There are no social standing, no wealth, nothing to the nothing accumulated in their life as they go on that would prevent them from entering the kingdom. But you see, if anybody had accumulated anything, it had to be Jesus at the right hand of the Father <laughs> with all glory and power and wealth and majesty and all riches and glory. And he emptied himself. And that's the way we come. We empty ourselves and we trust, trust God to exalt us. He trusted God to exalt him. We empty ourselves and we trust God to exalt us. See, that's why the kingdom, entering the kingdom is connected with the idea of being born again, right? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why? Because being born again is a work of the spirit. Being raised up when you come to the Lord is a work of the Spirit. Being translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is a work of the Spirit. Being crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism and raised to new life is a work of the Spirit. Salvation is a work of the Spirit from beginning to end. Repentance isn't about trying to be good enough to earn. 
Repentance is saying, I come with nothing, save me. Now look, go with me. I want to spend the, the last few minutes in Romans 14, verse 17. This is descriptive about the kingdom of God. And you know this, uh, you know this verse well. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, do you know it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think there's a song about that, Tom. <laughs> I think there's a song about that. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay, but uh, this is descriptive of what kingdom life is like. This is what the kingdom is. See, it's not a matter of rule keeping. It's not eating and drinking. The chapter that this verse came out of, what was happening was the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, two totally different groups of people. They're trying to, Paul is trying to keep them from like just literally hanging each other, fighting each other constantly in the church. And he's saying, look, you know, if you have a good conscience, don't worry about it. Eat the meat. But if somebody thinks it's offered to an idol or whatever, then don't eat the meat for conscience sake. And he's going on about how you need to honor those. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the other because at the end of the day, the kingdom is not about whether you eat this meat or don't eat this meat or honor this day or don't honor this way. Or if I bring it up to modern times, sing these kinds of songs or dress this way or act this way. It's not about that. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and rule keeping and fitting in with the group. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit to make it more modern. But the Holy Ghost, sometimes that just flows. The Holy Ghost, I like that. The Holy Ghost. The kingdom is not about rule keeping. See, whenever you have something good and true, there's always a counterfeit, right? And the job of a counterfeit is to look as close to the real as you possibly can. See, I don't know anything about fashion and style. That's why I had to get married. I had to, because I just don't care. I'm sorry. I remember it's been years ago. Uh, Rin Kim wanted to, you know, bring us up a notch in fashion, and she found this, um, this, um, uh, the wallet. You remember the wallet? This Gucci. Was it Gucci? Well, coach, a coach, a coach. Well, she told me it was a good brand. I have no idea. And she found it, and, and I was working out in West Knoxville, and she said, um, you know, I've arranged it. Go pick it up on the, on the way home. Is, it, is the coach good? Okay, good. Just great. <laughs> anyway, so, so, I mean, I'm out there, like, at 7 o'clock at night after I work meeting this couple in Walmart or Walgreens parking lot to get this coach wallet. And I'm like, okay. And they're, like, they handed it to me. I'm like, I have no idea. Here's the money. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm looking at it, and I took it home. Here it is. She's like, yeah, that's what I wanted. And I said, I, I looked at the pattern and I said, you know, it looks exactly like that pattern of the seat cushions at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it did. I don't think she ever carried it after that. I think I ruined it for her. <laughs> I have no clue. When I was, uh, I got to stay in New York for a while and you know, there's a lot of counterfeit stuff up in New York, right? I mean, you could go get a shirt you know, and you say Tommy Hilfiger on the front and the tag would say Fruit of the Loom. <laughs> yeah. the, the goal is to pass it off as the original thing, right? You don't, you know, if you have counterfeit money, you don't, you know, make a, a big purple bill, put the picture of Barney the Dinosaur on it and write a hundred and say, here, it's a, you make it feel like the real thing, smell, if you can, smell like the real thing, look as close to the real thing as you can. You, there's counterfeits everywhere. Do you know there's a counterfeit spirituality? There's counterfeit people thinking that they are right with God, and they're not. There's counterfeits, and it's close. 
but it usually ends up looking like, you know, either some kind of rule keeping, some kind of legalism, uh, one way or another. And uh, we don't want to be fooled by a counterfeit when God's offering us the real thing. So there is a counterfeit gospel. And it's passed off as this rule keeping, observing feasts, keeping holidays, dress codes and all that. But the kingdom of God is not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy. It's a work of the spirit from start to finish. Now, righteousness is basically the state of being right. It's doing the right things. It's actually, it's correct. I look this one. This is the definition. I'll read it. Correctness in your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Correctness. It's rightness. Uh, to be righteous before God is to be acceptable to God. And if, if you uh, use the King James Bible, there's another word besides righteousness called justification. Both righteousness and justification are the same Greek word. Dikaiosune, it means righteousness, it's rightness. And as Christians, we need to do the right thing. We need to be found doing the right thing when he comes. We are saved unto good works. We've got things that we should be doing. By the spirit of God in our lives, we are led to mortify the deeds of the body, right? So that we can serve him. We're told to put on the new man and wake to righteousness and sin not. There's things we need to be doing that are right, no doubt. But for a Christian, there's actually another kind of righteousness that the scripture speaks of. And it's the righteousness that comes from him as a gift. You know it. Look at, look at Romans 3, 22 through 24 with me. The righteousness of God Paul speaks of it here. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It comes through faith. It comes through trust. Trusting him like a child. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you go back and read the chapter, he's just laboring for a whole chapter or more to put everybody under sin, saying everybody's guilty. The Jews are guilty. The Gentiles are guilty. Everybody's guilty. Why? Because he shut up everybody under sin so he could give grace to everybody equally. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that's that same root word, made right, made righteous by his grace. How? As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? The gift of God, the righteousness. This is the kingdom of God. Not rule keeping, righteousness being right and receiving that gift of righteousness. Peace, number two. Remember Jesus in the boat in the middle of the storm? Now either Jesus was really, really exhausted or he had just enough peace that he could lay there and sleep while they thought they were drowning. They're paddling or working the oars, bailing water, and they finally go to him and say, Jesus, don't you care? We're drowning. <laughs> and he kind of woke. I probably sounds like a little annoyed. Where is your faith? <laughs> He had perfect peace in the middle of the storm. And you know, everybody in the world is seeking peace. Everybody is. And you know, we all experience it from time to time. As Christians, we do experience incredible peace in our life. In fact, look at the uh, uh, Isaiah 53, 5. You know, you know that passage. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That word for peace, you know, is based on the Hebrew word shalom, which means uh, complete soundness, welfare, and peace. That's the peace we have in him. But the basis for this kind of peace, 
inner peace, you know, is actually rooted in something more important. It's rooted in our peace with God. Let me explain what I mean. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saint and members of the household of God. The peace he's talking about here is reconciliation with God, with the father. That's why he's saying peace. Again, it's a Jew and Gentile thing he's writing about. Peace to you who are far off. That was the Gentiles who were who found God, even though they weren't even looking for him. And peace to you, those who are near. That's the Jews. And the same sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. Why? Through reconciliation with God. The peace we enjoy with the Father, being connected to God, is the basis of that inner peace that we get to experience. And finally, joy. Look with me at joy. Again, same thing. Everybody experiences different levels of joy in your life, right? But for most people or many people, it's connected to circumstances, right? Things are happy, I'm happy. Things are bad, as long as the money's flowing and I'm healthy and the kids are not in trouble, I've got joy. (laughs) Things are good. As soon as some of those things start going south, all of a sudden, where'd my joy go? But for a Christian, our joy is connected to God. It has to be. How else can you explain these verses? James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That doesn't make any sense. Yay, I have a trial. (laughs) Life is difficult. (laughs) I'm having a hard time. I don't have any money. (laughs) Yay. That's not normal. (laughs) That's why they look at us and say, you're not normal. You're not normal, Rich. (laughs) It's okay. Go with it. It's working for you. Look at Hebrews 10, 34. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What? <laughs> you, you joyfully accepted? That is so un-American, I can't tell you. <laughs> you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Because you knew that yourselves had a better possession and abiding one because their peace was not connected to the things of this world. Their peace was connected to God. So all of this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is all a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the kingdom of God. And it came with Jesus. Actually, it started with John. Matthew eleven twelve says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, so that wasn't very long, the days of John the Baptist until that point then. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. I looked up a couple different translations just to kind of see a little clearer on that. I like how the Phillips says it. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been taken by storm and eager men are forcing their way into it. I've never read the Passion Translation before, but listen to what it says here. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and passionate people have taken hold of its power. 
the realm of the kingdom is burst forth. Listen to the Kingdom New Testament. That's um, N.T. Wright's translation. I like him. He's a very good scholar. He says, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcing its way in and the men of force are trying to grab it. Yeah. It's pushing in, guys. He wants this more than we do. And he wants some strong people who are eager, who are willing to go after it. He is not offended by us being too eager about the things of the kingdom. Well, we can't be too aggressive for him when it's something in the Bible. Look at Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. That field cost him everything, everything. He sold all he had and bought that field. And you know what else it says? He did it joyfully. Look at the next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And you know what? I don't think that merchant thought he gave up anything, did he? And was worth it. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is worth it. It's worth it. Well, we don't want to be, we don't want to be on the outside looking in. You know what I'm saying? We want to be right in the middle of that kingdom. We want to be experiencing all, and we want to be the ones participating with that kingdom, pushing out into this world. It's going to happen. You know, kingdom come is coming. But kingdom come is here now in the church, in Jesus. And we want to be active participants of it. Don't you guys want to do great things for God? I believe you do. Let's go do it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, this word only means anything to the extent that we live it out. Lord, bless us. You've blessed us. You've helped us. We will do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.